nudity, running, and the other type of thongs. Join me as I talk about the Lupercalia on the Ancient History Hound podcast. Hi, and thanks for joining me. My name's Neil, and in this episode, I'm going to try to get to the bottom of what the Lupercalia was and how the Romans understood it. Before I do the normal podcast husbandry bit, I need to thank Alicia. You see, I had an email from Alicia saying that she really enjoyed the episode I did on the Saturnalia. So would I be interested in doing one on the Lupercalia? Well, here it is, and thanks again, Alicia. It's always fantastic to hear from listeners. So if you've got an idea, just send it in. You can find me all over the place on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and even TikTok. I'm at Ancient Blogger. And this podcast has its own Twitter handle of at Hound Ancient. And don't forget my website. It's called ancientblogger.com. And I'll be posting episode notes on it for this episode. This will include the sources used, reading list, transcript, and other contents such as maps, which I really hope helps. So, what should you expect? Well, I'm going to summarise what the sources made of the Lupercalia, in particular what they thought the origins of it were. I'm also going to bring in some modern perspectives, which will help us understand things. And then, of course, I'll be recreating how it went, and this includes one famous instance from Roman history, which had the Lupercalia as its backdrop. Right then, I'm going to begin by asking you to imagine the following scenario. You're in Rome at some point in the first century AD. More specifically, it's February the 15th. And you aren't just anywhere in Rome. You're near the foot of the Palatine Hill, or perhaps in the Forum. There seem to be a number of people gathered around. Something is definitely brewing. And then you see or hear them. A group of young men running around naked and holding thongs made of goat hide. As they run past people, they strike them with the aforementioned thongs. And rather than this lead to a riot, it's actually encouraged and people seem to be happy with what's going on. This was the Lupercalia. By the time the Lupercalia was being literally run in the first century AD, it was considered old, very old. Indeed, as you'll hear, it was linked to the myth of Romulus and Remus, with the sacrifice and starting point of the running located at the Lupercal. This was a cave outside of which the mythical twins were found by the she-wolf and suckled. The Lupercalia was therefore tied to events and places which, in myth, predated Rome's foundation. Our main sources on how the Lupercalia began are Ovid, Plutarch, Livy, Valerius Maximus and Dionysus of Halicarnassus, and we have others such as Cicero and Varro who also chip in. All of these writers date to either the 1st century BC or later, so straight away there's an important point to be made. And it's that Rome was late in the game when recording or accounting for its history. Rome's earliest known historian, Fabius Picta, dated to the end of the 3rd century BC, and to give some perspective, that's around the time Hannibal was fighting Rome in the Second Punic War. It must have been a challenge, or more likely an impossibility, to find any contemporary sources which might explain the Lupercalia, or provide insight into the whys and hows of it all. And you know what? Far from being frustrating, it's fascinating, because it feels as if the writers are trying to make sense of it all. By the time of their writing, the Lupercalia was an established and important ritual. But no one is sure exactly how it got there. But they each have their ideas and observations, and I'll try to summarise what those were. I'll start with possibly the most famous account of the Lupercalia by a poet called Ovid. His very long poem, The Fasti, detailed the Roman festival calendar and gave descriptions on each festival. 
As it was a poem, there was a need for it to entertain. This wasn't a dry account. And what Ovid wrote about the Lupercalia and how it all began is stocked with action. Most of it nude. It starts with Romulus and Remus as young men who are not yet aware of their background or calling. At this point, they are simple shepherds and attending a sacrifice to the god Faunus, who is linked to the Greek god Pan. As the brothers exercise naked, by the way, Ovid is all about why the participants in the Lupercalia, the Lupaki, ran naked, the alarm is raised. Rustlers are making off with a cattle, and so Romulus and Remus launch into action in their respective birthday suits. They split up into two groups, with Remus and his group returning with a cattle, and Romulus and his bunch returning empty-handed. This part of Ovid's poem goes some way to explaining all of that nudity. It's because the twins had been caught out whilst exercising. But Ovid also supplied more information about where it happened, the inclusion of the goat hide thongs, and their function. For Ovid, the Lupercalia was linked to the Lupercal, a cave, which was found at the foot of the Palatine Hill. It was outside the cave where the basket containing the twins came to rest after the floodwaters receded, and it was here that the she-wolf found and suckled both Romulus and Remus. This link, and the importance of the cave, seems to have been universally agreed upon, by the way, and as you'll hear, it formed the starting point of the Lupercalia. As for those goat-hide thongs, and why you'd want to use them to hit people, well, this was given a secondary explanation, separate from the story of the twins chasing their cattle. Ovid wrote that when Romulus was king, there was a fertility crisis at Rome, Help came in the form of Juno, a Roman goddess, who spoke from her sacred grove. Her instruction was, let the sacred he-goat pierce the Italian wives. And yes, that doesn't sound particularly nice, does it? But fortunately, an augur, a type of priest, was available to demonstrate what this actually meant in practice. After killing a goat, he made thongs from its hide and used these to hit the women on their backs. And this fulfilled the godly prescription. Ovid's account of the Lupercalia therefore provided a rationale for many of the elements which formed the Lupercalia of his day. He was born in the mid-first century BC and died around AD 17. There's the nudity, the running, the goat-hide thongs, and using them to hit people. But these aren't presented as one single ritual. The running and nudity have their own origin story, and the thongs and use of them have their own. There seems to have been initially separate rituals, and this is an important point to note. There's also a heavy element of the foreign or non-Roman. Ovid mentioned Pan and the link to Faunus. He also included a character called Evander, not a Roman, but a Greek from the region of Arcadia. In fact, the worship of Pan, who was a Greek god, was prevalent there. And finally, that augur, the priest who interpreted the words of Juno, he's described as hailing from Tuscany or Etruria the Etruscans having a big influence in Rome, particularly in the accounts of the early kings of Rome. And if you want to hear more about that, you can listen to my mini-series on the foundation myth of Rome and its kings. Our next source to consider is Plutarch. He was a Greek writing in the 1st century AD and is famous for his lives, which featured famous Greeks and Romans. His account of the Lupercalia sits in his life of Romulus, but he also mentioned it in his Questions. Plutarch saw the Lupercalia as a festival of purification, this due to it being held in February, and more on that later. He linked it with the location of the she-wolf nursing the twins, noted the association with the Greeks through the figure of Evander. There seems to be agreed elements here, but he also had questions. For example, he's not exactly sure how the name of the festival linked to what went on exactly. 
It was named after wolves and linked to the site, the Lubakal. But how did that relate to what went on during the festival? He also included, though, some much-needed detail about what happened during that ritual. The priests, after sacrificing the goat, touched the foreheads of two youths with the bloody knife. The stain was then wiped off with some wool dipped in milk. As to what happened next, he commented that young married women were happy to be hit with the thongs as it promoted both conception and a healthy birth. Plutarch also included the thoughts of earlier writers. One, a character called Butas, reasoned that the blood on the forehead represented the peril Romulus and Remus were in that day, whilst the milk represented the she-wolf who had suckled them. As for the hot topic of nudity, Caius Acilius had concluded that the twins had made their chase naked so they wouldn't get too sweaty. Ah, yeah, try that one in court. But Acilius did think that the sacrifice of a dog which occurred at the Lupercalia was because dogs were enemies of wolves, and that it was borrowed from the Greeks who also sacrificed dogs in the context of a rite of purification. Dionysus of Halicarnassus, another Greek source from the 1st century BC, placed the figure of Evander as the main influence to all of this, and it was even noted that the Palatine Hill was named after Palentium, an Arcadian city. It was the foot of the hill that Evander built an entire settlement, all of this before Rome, and he'd even completed a temple to Pan near the Lupercal. On a wider point, Dionysus often linked ancient Greece with the formation of Rome. He sees Greeks everywhere. Yet in this instance, he's not the sole advocate. The association of Evander and Arcadia to the Palatine Hill and the Proto-Lupicalia is found even with the most ardently patriotic of Roman writers. And a good example of this is Livy, who famously wrote about the history of Rome towards the end of the 1st century BC. He also had Pan and Evander as the main influences to it all. Livy did change the story, though, concerning the twins. Rather than some cattle rustlers, this was an ambush, with Romulus able to fend off the attackers, but Remus being taken hostage. This is a crucial plot point, because in the myth of the twins and the founding of Rome, it's this event where both are told of their parentage, and so begins their quest to avenge their grandfather, Numitor. Finally, there's the account given by Valerius Maximus. His description of the foundation of it seems to mediate some of the previous points. I'll read it out, beginning quote. The custom of the Lupercalia was begun by Romulus and Remus. At such a time as they were making merry because their grandfather Numitor, king of the Albans, had permitted them to build a city in the place where they were brought up, under Mount Palatine, which Evander of Arcadia had consecrated by advice of Faustulus, their foster father. For thereupon they made a sacrifice, and having slain several goats, and eaten and drunk somewhat more than usual, they divided up their pastoral band, and girt with the skins of the sacrificial victims, they sportively struck the bystanders. End quote. Valerius described the original Lupercalia as much more akin to what the Lupercalia was like in his day, the early 1st century AD. Unlike Ovid, there isn't a separate rationale for the whole business with the whipping. It's all part of that main festival. And as an explanation, it all comes in one tidy package. A bit like those happy celebrants, perhaps. The sources all provided their understanding of the Lupercalia and how it had originated, and there are some basic elements which seem to have been agreed upon, or at least not overly contradicted. Firstly, this was an old festival, dating back to one founded by Romulus and Remus, or one they participated in, and was linked to their nursing by the she-wolf. Secondly, 
it had strong links to ancient Greece, and finally, it had a geographical location, the Lupercal, that cave on the foot of the Palatine Hill. I appreciate these are very broad basics, but ultimately you have to start somewhere. There are gaps with some of the sources offering information which the others don't, and there are also differences which you, well, might expect. But there's also a contradiction sitting at the heart of the Lupercalia. How did any of the goings-on at the Lupercalia relate to the name of it? In other words, what's any of the Romulus and Remus myth got to do with running around whipping people? And what's a fertility ritual doing in a month where purification, not fertility, was considered to be the main theme? I'll start with the latter point. One possible solution is an argument which posits that the Lupercalia was originally a festival of purification, and that at a later date the fertility element was added, and this took hold, eventually becoming the main event. The Roman name for a ritual concerned with purification was Lestratio, and though these rituals varied, there are certain elements of it which can be found in the Lupercalia. As an example, take the procession which marked out an area. Far from dour occasions, these involved chanting, music and dance, with the participants carrying instruments of purification, so, well, we have that later run, and with people holding things. Then there's the month of February, named after Februus, a deity associated with purification, but also fertility. And here we might pick up on that link with Juno, because she was also known as Juno Februata. Sadly, the sacrifice of dogs was also common in purification rituals. They were also often sacrificed to the underworld deities, and the Lupercalia sat in the middle of a wider festival called the Parentalia, which involved placating the dead. It's easy then to consider the Lupercalia as a purification ritual, or embodying many elements and associations of it. Where the fertility element to the Lupercalia came in is intriguing. A fragment of Livy stated that this was introduced to the Lupercalia in 276 BC as a response to an outbreak of stillbirths. As with the Saturnalia, the idea of introducing new elements to a festival wasn't uncommon in Rome, but we might also pick up on the involvement of Juno. In Ovid's account, it was Juno who advised the Romans what to do as a result of the fertility problems, and which culminated in all that whipping. It's plausible that this was a later addition to the Lupercalia, but it also could have been an element of the original ritual, which itself was rebranded. Initially, the whipping was part of the purification ceremony as an act which drove away bad spirits or had some similar function. But then it could also function as a fertility ritual, and this association gradually grew and became the main one for this activity. But what's the link with Romulus and Remus exactly? Well, it's not exactly clear. Valerius has the twins as founders, but the other sources tend to associate the twins with an existing festival, one which served as a backdrop to all of their nude heroics. The main link, of course, is the location for the Lupercalia, the starting point at the Lupercal. And there's another position to consider on this, that the Lupercalia was a mix of an original Lustratio performed in early Rome and the myth of Romulus and Remus, which actually may have been a later addition and was therefore grafted onto it. Now, this might sound bizarre. Surely the myth of Romulus and Remus should be the oldest element in all of this, but in fact, their myth can't be evidenced much before the 4th century BC. Perhaps then, and just perhaps, because this is all speculation, 
there was originally a Lustratio ritual in early Rome. It was celebrated in mid-February, which made sense given the theme of that month being purification. But it was changed and had two big developments. One was the rise of the myth of Romulus and Remus, which became standardised as Rome's foundation myth. What happened next was a bit of retrospective continuity, and so their story was attached to the Lustratio, and perhaps the name Lubicalia resulted. Either way, the important thing was to have the association of the twins and that ritual. And then, there's the whole fertility thing. The whipping may have been a part of the original ritual and functioned to drive away the bad spirits, but it then took on a new function, promoting fertility. Alternatively, the whipping was just added in as a new part of it, and so we have this new type of festival, or rather, a significantly changed one. As I've said, all of this is speculation, especially given the gaps in our knowledge. But fear not, I'm going to move away from the hypothetical to the practical and describe the festival. But before I do, here's a quick word from the partial historians. Hello, hello, this is Dr. Rad. And this is Dr. G. And together, we're the co-hosts of the Partial Historians podcast. We love ancient Rome and trying to figure out exactly what they were up to. It's often not good. No, it's not. Our podcast combines analysis, discussion about sources, and a good dash of irreverence. As lovers of ancient history hound, we know you have a passion for all the details of the ancient world. We'd love for you to join us for our narrative episodes as we explore the history of Rome from the founding of the city. Or you can drop by for our special episodes on topics such as historical films and ancient personalities. We also regularly interview some of the most fascinating academic historians on topics such as children in Pompeii, women in slave revolts, and how Augustus used plants to further his evil plans for world domination. You can find The Partial Historians wherever you listen to quality podcasts such as Ancient History Hound. And we're also out and about on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. And now, back to your regular program. If you're interested in Roman history, go and find The Partial Historians. It's really that simple. Where was I? Yeah. What would the festival have been like by the imperial period? And what was that famous incident I mentioned earlier? On the 15th of February, two groups of selected individuals would have congregated at the Lupercal. These were the Lupici, the naked young men participating in the ritual. These were subdivided into two groups, the Fabiani and the Quinctiani. These represented the two groups who had joined with Romulus and Remus in their chase of the rustlers. The Fabiani had followed Remus and the Quinctiani had joined with Romulus. It's also worth noting that this was a ritualised race. There wasn't a requirement to be the quickest. After all, this was all about audience participation. At the Lubacal, a dog and a goat would have been sacrificed, and a member of each group, or perhaps all of them, had their foreheads symbolically marked with the sacrificial knife. It has been argued that there was then a small feast, or the feast took place later, but we know the main thing that happened, that the two groups of men set off about their running. The exact route that the Lupici took isn't clear, but it's linked to two places. The Forum, which was just to the north and slightly west of the Palatine Hill, and the Via Sacra, or Sacred Way. This wasn't a random route, and it's thought that this represented an original one which had marked out a boundary. It's probably one of the few consistencies in this that we all have. 
The general accepted route is that the Lupiki headed east in an anti-clockwise fashion around the Palatine Hill before joining the Via Sacra just to the north of it. They then headed west, following it to the Forum. And along the way, the Lupiki would stop to hit people, or whip them. Juvenal mentioned them tapping the hand of modest young ladies, but perhaps things could get a bit more, let's say, dynamic. There's a mosaic which dates to the 3rd century AD, and it's found at Thystrus in modern-day Tunisia. It's called the Mosaic of Months, as each month has its own image. February's is a man wearing an apron, holding a whip above his head. In front of him is a woman being held by two attendants with her back exposed. This, in fact, links closely with Ovi's description, where following Juno's instructions and the augur's interpretation of her words, the women were struck on their backs. Perhaps this was a more formal or idealised representation of the whipping, but enough about that. Back to the running, albeit with just a bit of whipping. It's thought that the route ended at the Forum, but it's been argued that the runners then headed back to the starting point. In either case, the Forum and the Lupercalia in 44 BC was the backdrop to a very famous event. It was here that a certain Julius Caesar was sat watching the goings-on, and then a runner appeared holding a diadem, often referred to as a crown. But this wasn't any runner, though. This was Mark Antony, Caesar's right-hand man. What happened next was pure political theatre. There was tension. The diadem symbolised absolute power, the type kings once had at Rome, and that didn't end well, hence the whole republic thing. Caesar, perhaps sensing the lack of support, refused the diadem. The crowd broke into applause. Antony repeated the offer twice. Each time it was offered, there was only the merest smatterings of applause. In contrast with each rejection, which drew huge applause and cheers from the crowd. Of course, none of this was in any way spontaneous. Perhaps Caesar wanted to gauge the reaction of the people. Had they cheered when Antony offered the diadem, then perhaps he'd have sought to make himself a king of sorts. But the negative reaction had consequences. Those who'd initially applauded the offer of the diadem were led off to prison by two of the tribunes. Whatever the intention had been, there'd be no doubt as to how this type of power grab would have been viewed by the Roman people. It had been firmly rejected. Mark Antony had run in the Lupercalia, not as one of the two original groups, the Quinctiani and Fabiani. He ran in a newly created third group, the Giuliani. You guessed it. Caesar had included his own family name as a new addition, and he wasn't naive when it came to the politics of the spectacle, so we can draw from this that the Lupercalia carried some weight, not only as a spectacle, but something within the very marrow of Rome. As an aside, the Giuliani group seems to have been abandoned after Caesar's assassination, which is not really that surprising. Another Caesar, the first emperor of Rome, Augustus, also involved himself with the festival. Exactly what this entailed isn't clear, though. Suetonius remarked that he prohibited young boys from running in it. This has been considered as Augustus giving the festival a cleaner image, but it might have just been the practicality of it. Augustus often had his eye on how public festivals might be used, and so limiting the participation of the Lupercalia may have been beneficial to him in some way. In fact, I strongly suspect that's what was going on. In the later periods, participating in the Lupercalia became strongly associated with the equestrian class in Rome. Perhaps there was an expectation that if you were to make anything of yourself, you needed to have been a participant. 
But like any race or naked rambling with a goat hide thong, there is always an end. But the end of the Lupercalia wasn't as immediate as you might have thought. When Christianity came to be the ruling religion in Rome, you might have thought that the Lupercalia was on short notice, but no, it stayed as a festival till around the end of the 5th century AD, irking a good number of popes. When a late 5th century pope, Felix III possibly, tried to abolish it, a senator stated that this festival helped prevent pestilence and famine, so we'd best leave it in. One final point about the Lupercalia is the association with Valentine's Day, and I've not come across anything which supports this or connects the two, and I'm not really sure how it would link in. A group of naked men holding goat hide thongs doesn't immediately come to mind when I think of romance, but hey, you know, each to their own. It would certainly make a good rom-com. And on that note, this brings me to the end of the episode. I really hope you've enjoyed it. Don't forget to rate or review if you can, and check out the episode notes on ancientblogger.com. Till next time, keep safe and stay well.